Hebrews chapter 3. Thank you. Hebrews chapter 3. So last week, as I said, we talked about Psalm 95 and uh, this passage uh, in Hebrews chapter 3 echoes, it it uses the same words. uh, uh, Psalm 95 was was quoting something else from the Old Testament and there's multiple places throughout the Word of God where this... uh, this passage is quoted, and uh, so I wanted to get to the end of Psalm 95 last week, but uh, I talked way too long, so we're going to deal with that today, but we're going to deal with it in Hebrews chapter 3, because I think it kind of elaborates a little more on uh, what was being said there, but uh, so last week uh, we talked about, in Psalm 95, it talked about how uh, the importance of coming together in worship, coming together in singing, and uh, it, it starts out by saying, uh, you know, come let us sing to the Lord. And it's talking about the congregation, it's talking about the people of God as a whole coming together to lift up our voices in singing. And again, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's not something we base our participation on how we think that we, uh, or, or how uh, talented we think we are as a singer. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the disposition of our heart before God. And then it goes on to talk about reason we do that, the reason we come together and sing to God, is because he is the creator of all things, and it outlines God's power and all the things that he's created, everything that is under him. And then it goes on and it says, come let us, the congregation, the people of God, let us bow before him, let us kneel before the Lord God our maker, because we are, he is our shepherd, we are the people, the flock under his care. Uh, So, God is the creator of all things, we should sing to him. God is our shepherd, and as he is our shepherd, we should kneel ourselves before him, bow ourselves before him, and allow him to be the shepherd uh, in our lives. <clears throat> so it goes through all those things, and then it says uh, what, we're, what we're going to read here in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. So 7 through 11, verses 7 through 11 are what was the end of Psalm 95. So it's the same exact thing that we would have read in Psalm 95, but uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, as I said, he just kind of elaborates a little more, so that's why we're going to go there uh, today. Um, so Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. On the day of testing, in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, as I swore on my wrath, uh, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Uh, and then verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, and, uh, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if we indeed hold to our original confidence, Firm to the end. As it is said, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. <clears throat> For, uh, in verse 16, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt and led by Moses? And with whom was, was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? 
And to whom did he swear that they would never enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And then just two verses in chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Uh, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you uh, should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Uh, so the first thing that we have to understand uh, from this, and again, uh, echoing the, the, what we read in Psalm 95, what the Word of God says there, that we should sing to the Lord, that our hearts should be joyous and overflow with, with worship. Out of, out of our hearts should overflow a song of praise to Him. Uh, you know, again, I... I think sometimes we diminish the things that we do in in church. Sometimes we think, uh, you know, maybe when people first started gathering as as the church, they decided, well, singing might be a nice thing to do together. So let's do that. That's not what it is. If we if we last week we talked about how uh, Keith and Kristen Getty wrote a book and they they talked about how the Bible references singing uh, 400 times and over 400 times and at least 50 of those times are commands to sing. So it is not something that is negotiable for us as Christians. Uh, so out, out of our hearts should overflow that song of praise, but then he says, come let us kneel before, bow down before him, because he is our shepherd, because we are his flock under his care. And we read in Psalm 23 that uh, he leads us in green pastures, he leads us by still waters, all of those things that God leads us in for our sake as a shepherd would his sheep. He heals us, he provides for us, he cares for us, he keeps us from danger. All of those things happen from God, our good shepherd, who sees all things. He has this picture of life. He sees beyond our limited human vision and sees where we are headed. And as a good shepherd, as we walk in step with his spirit, he guides us from danger or he preserves us in danger for his name's sake. So out of that then he is saying that our hearts should be fixed on God, thankful to him, uh, uh, worshiping him out of the mercy and love that is available to us in him. And then he goes on and he says, but don't harden your hearts. He goes on and he says, again, starting in verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and uh, saw my works for 40 years. Take, uh, in the verse 12, take care, brothers, lest any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So he's saying all of these things. I'm, I'm quoting back to Psalm 95 now, but using what's in, in Hebrews 3 also. He's saying all of these things that should be within our hearts and overflow out of us. And then he says, but make sure you don't allow your hearts to be hardened. All of these things that are available to you, the, the, the ability to worship the Creator, the God that, that sustains all of things, all of, uh, everything around us by His Word, by His power, uh, the God who provides for us as a shepherd, that is available to us, but make sure that you don't allow your heart to be hardened and you miss it. You don't step into the rest that is available to you because we allow our hearts to be hardened. Uh, so what is being said here is that we should have great concern that our hearts are always moving toward greater and greater belief and trust in God. And that takes an active 
mind. That takes an active heart. That takes an active thought process to always be pursuing God, that we should, in greater and greater measure, see the things that are laid before us, the ability to worship the God that created all things, that He is our shepherd. And we've talked about in First Peter, it talks about a living hope, that we are co-heirs with Christ. All of these things available to us. And yet, if we aren't uh, thoughtful, if we aren't careful, our hearts can be hardened to those very blessings that are available to us. So that's what he's saying, is be careful that your heart isn't hardened. Now one of the things I think that we have to be careful of in the church is I think there are times where some people uh, get to the point where uh, maybe they think that it's impossible that they could ever end up uh, falling away from Christ, or it's impossible that they could ever get caught up in uh, things that uh, maybe other people get caught up in. But I can assure you, any person, uh, there is not any person that's above falling. There is not one person that is above that. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care how long you've read your Bible. I don't care how many times you have prayed. Uh, none of those things, it doesn't matter. If you turn your eyes to things of the world, you can be sure that your, your heart will begin to be hardened. We have to be careful, is what he's saying. We have to be very, very careful as Christians to continue on pushing towards the prize to lay hold of the things uh, that, that are available to us. So the scripture here, it's not talking about those who know nothing of God. It's talking about the people uh, who have seen God's goodness, the Israelites who had seen God's goodness. They had experienced his moving, his blessing, his care, his provision, all of these things, uh, and then allowing their hearts to be carried away uh, in distrust. Now, uh, if you want to, you can turn here, Exodus chapter 17, uh, starting at verse 1. We're going to read specifically what he was talking about. He said, uh, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So we're going to look at exactly what he was talking about in that moment, the Israelites and how they hardened their hearts against God. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> It says all the congregation of the people of Israel moved, uh, moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Verse 3, uh, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on uh, before the people, uh, I'm sorry, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hands the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord God among us or not? Uh, so what, what we see in here uh, in this passage is the Israelites who had been uh, enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and then God delivered them. He raised up Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. All of the things that we see in there, the miracles that God performed, 
the ways that he uh, raised up Israel over uh, the Egyptians, how he he slaughtered Pharaoh's army in in the uh, uh, as he parted the waters, and then it came back over top of uh, uh, Pharaoh's army. The, the, the Israelites all saw this stuff happen. They were led by him every step of the way. They saw his presence go before him. All of these things that they had seen in God, and somehow they got to the point where their hearts were so distant from God, or their hearts were hardened uh, by the cares of the world, the cares of thinking that God wouldn't provide for them. They were hardened by uh, the things that they felt they needed, that they forgot the God that had led them by his very presence had gone before him. They forgot the God who had uh, overcome the, the Egyptians for them, the God that performed all of these miracles. They had forgotten all of those things, because they were concerned about water. Because they forgot the fact that the God that created all of these things knows that I need a drink. I mean, that's, that's an elementary thing, right? Wouldn't you think that the God who split apart the sea and, and closed it in over the army, that he would know people need to drink? But see, the people were fixed on their own natural desires and in uh, what they thought that they needed in that moment, they, they lacked trust in God. Now, I, I think that it, it is possible sometimes that it would have been a draft, drastically different situation had they come to, to uh, Moses with a different heart. And what I mean by that is there are times where you can say something, the same exact thing, in two different ways and get two different responses. You can say something in a way that comes across as angry that comes across as lacking trust, right? And Or you could approach somebody and say, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm not understanding how all of this works. I still don't fully understand God. I, I feel like we need a drink, but I'm not seeing this. How is this going to happen? Can you build my faith? That is a drastically different approach than coming to God just, we don't have water. Why did you bring us out here to kill us? The point is, that there are ways that we can approach God, there are ways that we can approach, whether it's leaders or, or teachers or other Christians or, or just God, in saying, this is something that I don't understand, can you build me up? See, that is far greater than approaching saying, whatever we're doing is failing because I don't see it. So we have to understand the, our approach sometimes. I think, I can't say this, this is my opinion, I think that their response, Moses' response and God's response, would have been a lot different if the people would have come out of having a question, but out of a heart of humility. I think we might have seen a little bit uh, different of a response uh, in that moment. But again, the mercy of God that provided for them what they needed, uh, though they were arguing and bickering and quarreling about what they thought God wasn't going to provide for them. Uh, so the thing is that we have to, uh, w- what he is saying overall, in, back in, in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 8, it says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. That's what he's talking about. The day of testing, the day of rebellion in the wilderness is the day that the Israelites had been led out and seen all the miracles of God. They still approached in an, with an argumentative heart saying, God, you're not going to do anything for us. Why did you bring us here to die? Testing God in that way. That is what he's talking about. Don't allow your heart to be hardened by missing the fact that God is the provider. 
and that He has sustained you to this point, that He has provided you everything you need for life and godliness, as the Word of God says, that He has given us the opportunity to hear His Word, His truths, that He has uh, given us the opportunity to be in a place where we are able to walk with other brothers and sisters in Christ and be built up together in Him. Don't be hardened because you have all of these opportunities. Take advantage of it. That's what we're saying here. He's saying, uh, he's saying, take heed lest though, through refusing to consider the evidence of the truth or the goodness and excellence of the things proposed uh, to be embraced by our faith, we should continue in natural unbelief and never attain the faith. So uh, that we should, he's saying, make sure that we don't reject or decline from the faith uh, through neglect of the means which minister to its continuance and increase. So he's saying the faith is here. Faith is available to you. You have something in your heart. Make sure that your hearts aren't hardened because you neglect building up that faith or preserving that faith. You understand that the, the salvation that we receive is a free gift of God. There's nothing we could have ever done to work hard enough to gain salvation. There's nothing we could have done. It doesn't come by our own strength. But after we receive the salvation, it takes a cultivation of faith in our hearts. It takes our act of thought and pursuit to cultivate a life of faith where we continue on in that. We don't just receive salvation one day and then we're ready to go until the day of salvation. We just wait for our final breath. That's not how it works. You see, this salvation that you have received isn't just punching a ticket to get to heaven. It is the beginning of a communion and fellowship and relationship with the God that has created all things. The God who is our shepherd, and we are the flock under His care. It's a communion with Him. And to have that communion, it takes your careful pursuit. It takes us nourishing that. It takes us cultivating that. The same as this, this last year is the first time ever Jamie and I tried to uh, plant a garden. And we still know absolutely nothing. But we ate some things that grew from the garden. So that means something, right? Uh, but it takes more work than I ever thought. I had no idea that you had to put cages around tomatoes. I didn't know that. I had no idea that, like cucumbers, you had to have some kind of lattice thing for them to grow up. I didn't know that. I had no idea that it wasn't how miserable it is going out and pulling all of the weeds out of that. That's not fun. Maybe some people think it is. I don't. Uh, but you see, if we wouldn't have done those things, nothing would have ever been produced from it. You can't just allow the weeds to take over what you have planted in the ground. That is exactly how it is in our faith walk, that something, the seed of faith, has been planted in you. The moment where I recognize my position before God as a sinner, where I recognize my destitution before God, and I acknowledge that He is the one who gives me hope, that I can somehow be made new in spite of all of this, the moment I recognize that, a seed of faith has been planted in my heart. There's something that is there that has been planted there. But it takes me cultivating that. Now God is the one, He will continue to give you more, but it takes me cultivating a heart that is open to Him planting more seeds and growing that in my life. It takes my careful thought and attention. What I'm saying is just, just simply uh, reading a two-minute devotion in the morning 
or showing up to church on Easter and Christmas. Those things aren't enough. Showing up to church every week's not enough. Because you can show up here and your heart's not in it. You can show up here and your attention is everywhere else in the world other than your attention being fixed on Christ. And that is absolutely not the way to cultivate the faith that has been planted in you. So what we are talking about is the, the Christian things that we do, our Christian pursuits, have to be done uh, out of a heart that is motivated to see the glory of God revealed within us. Out of a heart that is motivated to cultivate a relationship and communion and fellowship uh, with God. Uh, so we have to make sure that we don't allow our hearts to be hardened by neglecting the means uh, of ministering to our hearts and cultivating a life of faith. Um, and how do we do that? Simply, very, very, very simply, Acts 2.42 says that the early church, they were together and they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So that, that was the focus of the early church, the people who had had the message of God given to them directly and it spread through all of the world. What was given to them, what their desire was, was the Word of God. And the Bible says that the man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from God as Christ was tempted uh, in the wilderness by Satan as he was fasting. Satan uh, tempted him to turn a stone into bread, and, and he said, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from God. So what we're saying then, spiritually, is every single thing, everything that is spoken from God, all the principles of God, everything that is revealed in His Word, is what sustains us spiritually. That is what builds you and I up in order to continue on. That's what builds us up to be healthy in our spirits, is the bread that comes from heaven, God's Word, His principles. So we should never neglect the Word of God in pursuing an understanding of the Word of God. Now sometimes it's difficult to understand. Right? Sometimes maybe you've never read the Bible before, you have no idea where to start or what to do. The best thing you can do is to ask somebody. Ask somebody that you think knows. Sometimes we feel bad asking questions. We feel like people are going to think we're dumb. Do you know how many times I have to call my older brother or my dad or my old pastor in Brookville and say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, the only, I always tell people, the only way that I know that I'm growing in life is now in life. At my age, I know that I don't know anything. When I was younger, I didn't know that I didn't know anything. <laughs> we have to understand that the, in this pursuit of God, we're going to have to ask questions. We're going to have to get over that place in us that feels like uh, uh, we feel like we're we're less than other people, or we feel like we're not good enough, or we feel like we're not smart because we have to ask questions. Every one of us has to ask questions. There are things about the Bible that I, I don't understand. But you see, it's not about us understanding everything right this second. It's about us pursuing knowledge and understanding through the truth of God that He reveals to us. Because over time, God's going to show you something in His Word or you might hear somebody talk, or you might, uh, maybe it's a friend that will say something, and it just clicks. Well, I read that in the Word of God, and that's what that means. That makes sense now. 
God will show you in time what he means by things. Uh, But we can't neglect the word of God. We have to pursue because it is what sustains us and builds us up in our spirit. And they devoted themselves to then to uh, prayer. Uh, Prayer is the lifeline of the believer where we have communion with, with God, where we talk to God, where we build up our relationship with him, where we build up our faith and trust in him. I heard somebody say once, we pray for other people because we want more for them than I can give them. That's why we're praying. Because in praying, we're acknowledging before God that you are the one that is able and I am not. That is what we're doing when we pray. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to what we're doing here. They devoted themselves to uh, seeing brothers and sisters in Christ and wanting to be with them. Actually wanting to be with them. More than they wanted to be with people of the world. I'm not saying we can't have friends who don't know God. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is it's probably something we should evaluate if we don't have much of a desire to be with God's people, uh, understanding the value that comes from Christ in them because they have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. If that's not there, it's something we really need to evaluate. Uh, so they devoted themselves to fellowship, and we'll talk about that uh, in just a couple minutes. But they devoted themselves to then to uh, breaking of bread. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that only means uh, uh, communion, breaking bread and communion. I think it does mean that, but I've also read a lot of scholars that think it just simply means being together and eating together. And if you look in the Old Testament, the culture in that time, that was a very significant thing. If we would be together in fellowship together, eating together, that was us saying that I value you in that culture. That's what it was saying. That you were somebody that I feel uh, close to, that I have a relationship that I want to fellowship with. You are somebody that I value, so we are going to sit in these moments. Even there's other countries today where they'll shut things down when it's lunchtime so they can sit down and eat because that is very, very important to them. Uh, so that's what I think we're talking about here. Not Not just that, but communion also. So all of those things together... Again, it's just another aspect of being together and valuing each other as believers. Uh, so we have to take care that we don't fail to lay hold of the great salvation we have in Christ because we have failed to cultivate a heart of communion. Uh, if we do not actively cultivate this, we will absolutely eventually be hardened to the truth that is laid before us. Matthew chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 3. <clears throat> it says, then, uh, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. He was scattering. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and some birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, The plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Uh, And then verse verse 20, uh, Jesus is then explaining what he was talking about in the parable. In verse 20, he says, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, it they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, uh, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Verse 22, then he says, 
the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, what he is saying is that we, as humans in ourself, are prone to unbelief. We are prone to wandering if our eyes are not fixed on God. We are prone to wandering if our if the Spirit of God is not dwelling in us and we're hearing His voice directing us in the path of God and walking in step with the Spirit. He said that there are people who, who uh, the truth of God is revealed to them and I think at that moment there would be some seed of faith in them and it falls on rocky ground and when the, the sun comes out it is scorched because they have no root. They haven't cultivated the seed that was planted in their heart. And then it said that there was somewhere the seed fell and the, the, the thorns grew up around it and choked it out. The cares of the life choked out the seed of faith that was planted in somebody. You understand there's not one of us in this room where Satan's just going to say, okay, you receive Christ, go ahead, serve him. I'll let you go. That's not what he's going to do. As the Bible says, his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. His goal is to destroy you. His goal is to steal your faith. His goal is to kill your faith, to kill you. That is his desire. Not just you, but your family, your friends, the people sitting around you in this room. That is his goal. There is somebody in this room, I guarantee you, who their faith is being choked out right now because of the cares of the world. In a room this size, I guarantee you that is happening. We can't be oblivious to that. In a room this size, there's probably somebody who their heart's being hardened because of the cares of the world. Their faith is diminishing. You see, we are prone to that. We are prone to that as human beings. We are prone to... Uh, losing sight of things, just as the Israelites did. If you read from the, in the Word of God from the beginning all the way through, you will see the Israelites walked with God and then they turned. And then they walked with God. He was merciful to them and brought them back in and then they turned away. And then they walked with God and then they turned away. You see that in the book of Revelation. You see that there were letters written to the churches and I can't remember, is it only one or two of the seven churches that he didn't have something that they needed to deal with. Every other church, he said, you, you have this going for you, but you need to deal with this. So he was saying to the churches, there's something in you that needs to be weeded out of you so that your faith can increase and you can continue on to lay hold of the things that I have made available to you. You understand that salvation... Uh, again, there, there are many places that we will go where people will tell you that the moment that you have received salvation, you have received it for eternity, and nothing that you can do can separate you from that. I don't believe for one second that the Bible teaches that. Because he, he simply says that, just in the passage we're talking about here, he says, uh, let me see, in... Uh, in verse 8, again, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works. Uh, 
in verse 10, Therefore I was provoked in that, with that generation and said, They will go astray in their heart. They, will not, they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Uh, these were people who had, God had delivered. These were people who God had set free from bondage and slavery. They were walking in him. And it says, they always go astray in their heart. What he is saying here, ultimately, and you can read through uh, chapter 3 and 4, and it talks more about those kind of things. We don't have time to get into all of it. But what he is saying is, it is possible for you to have faith established in your heart, and then for your heart to be hardened and turned away from that. We have to be careful that that doesn't happen. One of the ways that we are able to overcome that, one of the ways that we care for ourselves and others that that wouldn't happen is um, Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 13. It says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So there it is. He says, we have come to share in Christ if, if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So that's the first thing before I move on. If you hold your confidence that you had in the, in the beginning, the seed of faith that was planted in it, if you hold to that confidence firmly to the end, then we have come to share in Christ. So what we're saying is salvation is in you. The benefits of God, the blessings of God, of God are available for you to walk in Right now, the Bible says that the kingdom of, of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I can have all of those things working in my heart, but I still have the opportunity to allow my heart to be hardened and turn away before that is sealed, the last moment when I draw my breath in the, my last breath in the end. That is a very, very important point that we have to understand is it takes our careful attention because I can still choose to turn away. But in verse 13, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, so what he is saying then is one of the ways that we overcome the hardness of heart, one of the ways that we can avoid that is by fellowship together. You see, what we're doing here is unbelievably significant in the life of a Christian. There are people all over the, that say things or question, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? I, it's hard for me to believe that you can't go to church and be a Christian. The Bible says that, that we are to encourage one another to the, all, every day, that we are to encourage one another and exhort one another on so that our hearts would not be hardened and your heart would not be hardened. It takes us fellowshipping together to do that. And there are other reasons why I believe that the Bible says that we have to be engaged in an actual body of believers, but we'll talk about that some other day. Uh, but one of the reasons is what we are doing here is significant. As I said last week, when we worship together, there is something that happens in us in worship as a community that I can't get from worshiping on my own. There are a lot of things that I can get, Worshipping on my own. There are things I can get from worshipping on my own that I can't necessarily get when I'm in a group of people. But there's something else that happens when I choose to engage myself in a body of believers and to actively worship 
meaning I'm prostrating myself to God when I'm worshiping. When I come together in a worshiping community, that means I am suppressing my own human desires for the sake of God and those around me. When that happens, I'm receiving something then that I can't get on my own because when I'm on my own, I can listen to the music I want to listen to. When I'm on my own, I find a pastor on YouTube or something that I like, not necessarily the guy you have to listen to today. Right? You, you find things that fit your personal preferences. But when you come together as the body of Christ, I push that all down. It's not about me. It's about other people. It's about God first, and then it's about other people because the Bible says to honor others above yourselves. And not just that, there, there are multiple things that we receive from fellowship together. I can't tell, there have been so many times that I've stood in the back of the sanctuary after preaching and somebody said uh, something that they thought of or a different perspective on what I was talking about and it just opened up something new for me that I never thought of. Uh, and on Wednesday nights that's happened multiple times where somebody will come and share something that I never thought of. You see, because we are encouraging one another on in the truth of God to cultivate a life of faith in communion with God, and fellowship with God. It takes us doing that together. The Bible says one of the ways that you avoid having a hard heart is to immerse yourself in a body of believers and encourage people. You encourage people. Me encourage people. Don't wait for everybody else to encourage you. Because I've seen that too. I promise we're ending uh, here soon. I've seen that though. I have seen situations where Somebody comes and says, you know what, nobody's talked to me for the last six months. I'm not very happy about it. Because they were going through things. Yeah, well, we had no idea you were going through things. How do we know that if you don't tell us? Sometimes it's not as simple as we want to make it. Sometimes it's on me for, to let other people know there's something going on in me that I need prayer for. I can't, we can't just sit back and expect that everybody's going to know everything about us, everything that's going on with us. That's not how this works. We personally have a responsibility in things to make sure that we are, if we need encouragement, that we are allowing that to be shared with the body so that we can receive encouragement. But the other thing is, I won't say that. What I'm saying is sometimes we want to receive. Sometimes we don't offer encouragement. We're always the ones consuming, or sometimes we're not the people actually offering. So it goes both ways. Encourage one another daily. That means you encourage and I encourage. Uh, so that is one of the ways then that we avoid hardness of heart is by... Uh, encouraging each other and having fellowship together in Christ. And this is the last thing that I'll say. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So the promise of rest still stands Lay hold of it. He said at the end of verse 2 there, the message they heard 
did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. You see, there are some people, again, if you go back to the parable of the sowers, there were some where the seed was sown and it was sown on good ground. It was sown on cultivated ground and it grew up and it produced a harvest. There are some people where the seed of faith is planted in them. They cultivate a heart of worship. They cultivate a heart of communion with God and fellowship with God. And that will grow up in them to produce a harvest for God. But he's saying there were some, they didn't add faith to what they were hearing. They heard the things that were presented. The word was, the seed was planted. The seed of faith was there. But they didn't cultivate that. They didn't add faith to the things that they were hearing. And all across this world today, people are hearing, right now, they're hearing the Word of God. And some people are growing up in that. Some people might hear it for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years and never add faith to what God is showing them. They're hearing, they're not adding faith to what they're hearing. Well, what do we mean by faith? We've talked about it, it was, it was quite a while ago, but uh, we talked about how faith requires two things. It requires intellectual assent and trust. Intellectual assent, meaning that I understand the truth of what is presented to me. And we used the example of a chair, if you were not here uh, when we talked about that. Intellectual assent means that I acknowledge this as a chair. It is sturdy. It's able to hold me. It has a pad on and I can sit on and it doesn't hurt. Uh, all of the characteristics of this that are factual and true, I can acknowledge that with my mind. But that's hearing. That's he- I'm hearing that. I, it's, it's like hearing the Word of God. I acknowledge these things about God. It's like hearing about this chair. Somebody's telling me about it. I hear it and acknowledge that's true. But what does it take for that to be useful for me? I have to sit down. I have to sit down on it, right? It, it, it means nothing to me. If I'm tired, if I'm weary, and I just stand here acknowledging, yep, that's a, that's a nice stool. It's pretty sturdy. It looks like it probably provides some comfort. And I just stand here, right? That's foolish. It takes me sitting down in it. But that is exactly what he is saying here. They heard. They heard it. They heard the truth. They saw God move all of these things, but they never sat down. They never trusted it to the point where they would sit down on it and believe that it was actually true. So what is God saying to us today? He says, come let us sing together. Come let us worship together as His body. Because He is the Creator of all things. And He is worthy of us offering sometimes our even human terrible voices to Him. Because it's not about that, it's about our hearts. But He's worthy of it. And He says, come bow before Him, kneel before Him, because He is our shepherd. We are the flock under His care. But make sure that you do not allow your heart to be hardened. Make sure that you don't just hear about the stool and never sit down in it. And he's saying, make sure that you encourage one another to sit down in what you have heard. Make sure that the people around you that are hearing the same things, make sure that they are sitting down. Encourage them to sit down, to lay hold of the truth and apply it to their lives so that it builds them up and sustains them. 
That's what we are saying. It takes your careful pursuit. Uh, as Dick and Joyce come up to, to close. It takes your careful thought to pursue the things of God. It takes you trusting, uh, intellectually ascending, acknowledging the truth that is laid before you, and then sitting down in it, and encouraging one another to sit down in the truth that has been made available to you. God, we thank you today again for the opportunity to worship you and to be together. We thank you for your truths that sustain us, your truths that build us up, your truths that uh, build up our spirits and give us strength. Father, help us to be people that would never allow our hearts to be hard, that we would be people that would actively cultivate a relationship with you, that we would actively cultivate our hearts to be good soil for you to plant the seeds and for you to water them, and for them to grow up and produce a harvest for you. Father, help us to never be a self-centered people, but we would value the fellowship of believers and what it means to encourage one another. Help us to never remove ourselves from that fellowship, but we would immerse ourselves in that, that we would be an active part of that in encouraging each other. Father, we love you today. We honor you. It's your name we pray. Amen.